Welcome to Tech Force Africa, where we explore and look at some of the important issues that are affecting technology businesses um, in Africa. Now, for today, it's uh, looking like uh, a very interesting discussion uh, that we're going to be having specifically uh, around uh, financial services. We're going to be speaking to a change maker at one of South Africa's largest financial services organizations. Uh, that is uh, Shanine Singh, who is a managing executive for customer value uh, management at ABSA. She actually leads the bank's next generation direct marketing and sales transformation program. And in this episode, she's going to help us to explore uh, one of uh, her biggest pa uh, passions, which is financial inclusion. Access to affordable financial products and services uh, could be the key to reducing extreme poverty and boosting uh, shared prosperity. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. We'll also discuss payment of uh, innovations uh, coming to South Africa and what all of that will mean uh, for individuals and businesses in the local market. So, Shanine, greetings to you today. Thank you. Lovely to be here. No, no, thank you so much for taking your time to be with us. And we're certainly looking forward to having this uh, discussion just around financial inclusion and how technology can enable something like that. But before we get into that, you know, discussion, uh, we do have a little bit of an icebreaker and uh, we have a couple of questions here. Um, so to begin with, Ethereum or Bitcoin? Ooh, I don't know if I'm allowed to answer that. The regulator might <laughs> <laughs> get upset with me. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll accept <laughs> that answer. Uh, do you prefer to travel alone or travel with friends? Friends. Okay. Singing or dancing? Dancing, definitely. All right. And then uh, uh, prospect or retain? I think a bit of both. I think prospecting is important, but you have to retain what you achieve through prospecting. Okay, cool. Uh, prepare or improvise? Improvise. Improvise. And then share or participate? Share. Okay, cool. So we are here to, you know, uh, chat with you, but uh, about what Apps is doing in terms of technology investment, in terms of uh, or what you guys are doing in terms of financial inclusion. Uh, but before we get into, you know, all of that, um, you are a graduate of uh, the Wharton uh, School of Business, uh, that is the University of Pennsylvania, uh, as well as uh, having previously been um, with McKinsey and Company. What actually led you, you know? to, you know, where you find yourself now at APSA and, uh, you know, the work that you're doing around uh, financial inclusion. So financial inclusion for me really started with a vegetable vendor who used to sell vegetables while I was in high school. And she used to carry them on her head. It was immensely heavy for her. And, you know, my heart went out to her, um, you know, in such a strenuous role to make a living. And so initially I would try and just buy more vegetables from her, but I realized that didn't really help you know, materially change her life. And so I saved up my pocket money and invested in a little cart. Um, and that actually, you know, even without my knowledge and after I left for university, um, you know, she told my family that that cart had allowed her to grow her own stock. Um, so she was selling more, but she was also then able to solicit herbs and chilies and higher margin vegetables that she could then sell on behalf of the community. Yeah. So it changed not just her life, but the life of the community around her. And I think as I was studying finance and accounting, um, 
at university and working for banks, I started making the connection between the impact that financial services can have and really changing people's lives and empowering not just them, but the communities that they operate in. And so that's what led me to ABSA and, um, and the work that I do there. That's actually a really great story just around how, you know, an individual's um, actions can actually go and impact um, someone else's life. But drawing on your studies, right, I think for this conversation, it helps to have some definitions in place. When we say financial inclusion, what does that actually mean? So financial inclusion, and I think this definition um, at ABSA has really evolved. I think when people hear the word, they really think it's about providing an account, a very you know low income account, but it's actually so much more than that. Financial inclusion starts with the account um, and providing people a safe place to store their money, but also a way to transact and interact um, through payments. Um, it's also about providing solutions that allow them to decash um, their payments because right now we have these tremendous queues outside ATMs while people wait for money. So really giving them an alternative not only improves their lives, but then as financial institutions, we're able to derive better data about somebody um, through their interactions. And then that allows us to layer additional financial services. So financial inclusion is not just about um, the payments and the account, but it's also opening up access to credit through that data and through that insight that you glean from the customer. Um, that allows them to invest in assets and start improving their day-to-day -day lives, accessing a lifestyle that's um, you know, that's more aspirational for them. And then I think, you know, ultimately, it's about inspiring our customers to really think about their financial legacy and creating intergenerational wealth. So yeah. whether you're an entry-level banking customer or a high net worth individual, I think thinking about what you leave behind um, and how you empower future generations is equally important. So I think this full spectrum is what we think about when we think financial inclusion. It really sounds like there's a lot, you know, that you guys are, are, are doing, you know, and we're going to get into that. But at least we now have a baseline uh, of what we're talking about. But maybe you could drill down a little bit more just around why it's important uh, to actually serve, you know, some of these segments. Uh, because I know that, you know, in banking, we talk about the segments, but why those segments in particular are very important. Uh, and in particular, you know, for small businesses and what access to credit for, you know, for uh, those groups of people actually means. Absolutely. So I think in South Africa, we've got a legacy in terms of the, the socioeconomic spectrum that makes financial services incredibly complex um, for financial services providers. So yeah. at the one end, there are very high value customers um, that require very complex, non-vanilla bespoke solutions. But on the other end of the spectrum, it's really about simplicity and value for money um, and providing an account. And I think the challenge is really for um, financial institutions to navigate this immense complexity in terms of serving customers. But there's another layer to this, which is the geographic legacy that we find in South Africa. Yeah. So we see um, just through our own research that in inclusive banking, um, so really very vulnerable segment, very much an informal economy, the majority of our customers are actually quite far from not just the nearest branch, but the nearest store. Um, so they need to significantly invest in you know, taxi fare to access banking um, products and services. And so democratizing this is really important. And in order to do this, you need to find a way to scale financial products, but also financial advice. Yeah. 
across channels. Um, so irregardless of whether customers interacting with you digitally or in a physical um, space, we're able to provide that right customized, tailored advice, the right product for the right customer, irregardless of the technological platform. And by, by proxy of that, um, irregardless of where they stay um, in the geographic landscape. Specifically for small businesses, I think they're often the financial backbone of a lot of this inclusive banking segment. Yeah. And so being able to give them financial products, but also the right financial advice is crucial to help them sustain their living. And as I mentioned, create that intergenerational link. If, if I reflect back on the vegetable vendor, I think it was the access to finance for that asset that materially improved her life, but also the right financial decision behind that. Um, mm. Should she, you know, had she been given the money, should she have invested in stock or the shopping cart? You know, so really providing that financial advice, not just the access, yeah. is really important to our customer base. It certainly sounds like it is, you know, very important. And you nicely laid out um, some of those reasons and how um, getting, uh, I guess, getting a lot of these uh, businesses and people into the net can actually um, help to build up a backbone for a financial, you know, services institution. But putting things into context, because we focused on South Africa, mm. but is South Africa the only country that's dealing with this particular issue? And, uh, you know, because I'm sure banks such as yourselves are, are trying to tackle these problems, but is it only found in South Africa uh, or is this something that's pervasive elsewhere? So we operate in nine markets outside of South Africa, and I think um, the challenge is absolutely pervasive. Um, if you look um, beyond our borders, I think you will find even further fragmentation in terms of um, the physical infrastructure versus you know, where people who really need to access financial services find themselves. And I think in some cases, it's led to some exciting innovation. So mobile payments and mobile banking has really, um, as I mentioned, democratized access to financial services for large parts of the population. Yeah. I think the challenge for banks is to participate responsibly and make sure that they provide the right products to the right customers, um, even though this is through a mobile channel and not a face-to-face -face interaction. And coming back to South Africa, because um, whilst things like your mobile banking have become quite popular in other, you know, in other geographies like East Africa, for example, um, South Africa, that hasn't really been a thing here. What are, are there specific things, you know, to South Africa that become a challenge there? So I think we've got a very large cash economy in South Africa, and that's really challenging um, for mobile banking to disrupt. But one of the big industry-leading um, initiatives is really going to be about rapid payments, and APSA is really um, one of the forefront players in leading this. And I think this provides a meaningful way to disrupt cash because these yeah. are real-time payments. They're paid by proxy. Mm. So people can make these payments very easily, and the person to whom you're paying will access that cash immediately. Yeah. I think this will be a meaningful way to really disrupt cash, particularly in this segment. But as I mentioned, there's so much rich data around decaching payments that um, financial services providers, together with companies like Salesforce and tools like Marketing Cloud, can really be used to start scaling you know, interpretation of this data and the right financial advice in the moment as these payments become real time. 
I know there's a lot of work that's being done, you know, around rapid payments, uh, the likes of BankServe, which is partly owned by APSA, you know, trying to make those cash um, interactions and those cash EFTs, you know, as instant as possible. Um, and that's, that's product fit you know, into the market. But outside of that, how do you make sure uh, that you guys are able to, you know, get the right products, you know, to the segment, you know, and make sure that you've got, you know, the fit in the market? So we've invested very heavily in advanced analytics. So behind, you know, the strategy to decash payments, um, we also have um, a series of models that really allow us to hyper-personalize interactions with our customers. And we very much participate with Marketing Cloud as a chassis to deliver these recommendations. Um, but I think it's very imperative to also do this in a data responsible way. So I think customers are becoming more aware and sensitive to how you use your data. Um, so what we proactively do from a data perspective is we're very transparent with the customer about where we use their data and how we use the data and also yeah. you know the benefits to them. Um, we do a lot of user testing before launching our data privacy policy. We ensure that it's not written in legalese, but really customer-centric language, yeah. um, so that it's very clear to the customer what the benefit is. And we also test personalization against the data privacy. So yeah. you know, there's, there's obviously a line between being really personalized and starting to become a little <laughs> bit creepy. Yeah. Um, so, so we actually actively test those boundaries um, together with our compliance team to really ensure we're doing our personalization in a way that's customer centric. Yeah. But I think also, you know, banking is highly, highly regulated. And so the conduct regulator really wants to ensure that the right products are provided to the right customer. Mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't want a high risk investment being sold to someone who can't afford that capital depreciation. Mm -hmm. So I think it also becomes important for us to back test um, you know, against um, take-up rates and really understanding how these products landed in the hands of the customer yeah. retrospectively so that we can continuously improve and iterate on the recommendations that we make to our customers. That's a lot of investment that you guys are making in, uh, in data. And clearly, there's a lot of insights. What is the data actually telling you about uh, what customers are actually demanding right now? So I think there are a few things. Um, you know, firstly, I think the, the previous model of data was really telling us that a customer is likely to take up a specific product. That's a very bank-centric way of engaging, you know, um, your customer base. What we've started doing is really um, applying unstructured machine learning algorithms to understand customer clusters. So rather than just, will you want to take up a loan? What do customers like you typically have in their portfolio? And what are the correlations and links between um, between customers and the products in their portfolio. A very tangible example is first-time home buyers. So previously, we might have just engaged you and tried to sell you a home loan. Um, and because it's really hard to you know, tell what the timing of this is, we would have probably spammed you a little bit over you know, a yeah. three to six month period. Whereas now, I think um, we're far more able to be reactive um, to triggers. You know, we can see that you're starting to look for a house. 
And then also from the data, we can tell that you're a first-time home buyer. Yeah. And so instead of just selling you a house, we're actually selling you your full move-in experience. Um, people who move into houses typically will need to furnish the house, um, buy you know, TVs and electronics. So beyond just providing you the home loan, we can provide you a credit card to fund some of these big purchases, home buyer's insurance. Um, so it's really an ecosystem meeting your need as a first-time home buyer rather than merely just selling your product. And when it comes to, you know, the product market at the moment, one of the big shifts and trends that's happening is buy now, pay later. Uh, a lot of companies in the international market, I can think of uh, guys like Klarna, and then I think in the local market, Payflex, etc. Um, we see, you know, this business model coming up. I think Apple, you know, has gotten in on the action. How important are some of these, you know, payment plans, you know, when it actually, you know, comes to the customer experience and actually um, increasing, you know, that financial inclusion or the importance of some of these uh, payment plans? So buy now, pay later, I think um, specifically um, is, is a huge trend, but I think specifically the nuance to getting it right in South Africa yeah. is doing it in a credit responsible way because a lot of customers or people in the banking system actually have access to exactly the same in their credit card facility, the budget facility on their credit card. But the people who don't have access to that are actually very much in the entry level segment. So I think EBSA is looking at a way to participate and build up buy now, pay later proposition, but in a way that really ensures that the credit is delivered responsibly yeah. to a base that might not understand it, um, that's compliant with the national credit regulator, and that also offers not just... Um, you know, the services of buy now, pay later, but also what happens after? What happens if you miss the payment? How do you start managing mm -hmm. the after effects and the credit implications yeah. um, at the back end of that? So I think that's for us, you know, crucial to kind of delivering a buy now, pay later solution. So the responsibility is a key factor, you know, um, doing all of this in a responsible way, the buy now, uh, pay later aspect. But how do you then ensure the security and sustainability uh, portion of that, uh, that buy now, pay later offering? So I think it's part of a broader credit ecosystem. Um, it's not just about availing the credit, but also making sure that we educate customers about um, how to use credit, um, the risks of not repaying their debt, um, the impact that that can have on them in terms of securing future credit. And in a lot of customers' journeys, um, you know, that blacklisting can mean that they can't purchase a home or a car or something really valuable to their future. So I think it's important to contextualize credit at a human level. Another big thing that we're looking at is really the financial education and credit education tools that accompany um, credit, especially your first uh, set of credit products. Yeah. So a big thing that we're looking at now is really empowering customers with the right type of credit yeah. um, based on hyper-personalization and you know, the, our understanding of their financial position, mm -hmm. but also walking that journey with them. Um, so even if it's a credit decline, it actually becomes your journey to yes, not just a no right now. Um, and then finally, it's about starting to provide access to the right credit tools um, that accompany you on your credit journey. Yep. So one of the things that we look at is, you know, sending credit scores via WhatsApp um, so that customers are actually very aware of how credit works and how various things impact their scores. We started off the buy now, pay later discussion uh, talking about how it's a trend. 
you know, that seems to be growing at the moment. And one of the other, you know, terms you just use now is hyper-personalization, uh, which I'm sure is driven by data and all of that. What are some of the other trends that apps is following uh, that are helping to actually serve some of these uh, segments you know, that are typically not served by other banks? So um, a big part of hyper-personalization is, as you mentioned, advanced analytics. And I think there are a few layers to this. Firstly, at a customer level, we really need to understand you, your financial needs, um, and how to serve you best with the right product at the right time. But also, there's a huge geospatial element to this. So we invest heavily in geospatial analytics yeah. so that we can really understand from a map of South Africa, where are the concentrated areas where specific product or specific service is needed yeah. um, and deploy the right tools to that um, space. It might be digital, it might be a mobile branch, or it might be you know expanding the physical infrastructure in that space and investing in you know a, a local cost branch to serve that community. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, the enablement of the data, uh, there's all these trends that you are able to then leverage on and then offer the products. Another big trend in the financial services space is cryptocurrencies, right? Earlier on, you sort of avoided that question, but <laughs> for now, we know we, we are going to have to get something from you around whether or not crypto is part of the conversation at Absa. Absolutely. It's a huge part of the conversation because um, as an investment asset class, um, you know, we've really seen a lot of our customers are starting to use crypto um, and buy various crypto assets. But I think increasingly the trend will be not just crypto as an investment class, but also payments um, solution. And we're starting to see some trends um, in that regard. But again, I think, you know, um, when we think about crypto, it's really around delivering it to the right customer um, in the right way, yeah. because crypto is also a very volatile asset. Um, and what we see as a trend in our customer base is a lot of the people participating are much younger customers that are starting out you know, in their careers, um, and they're investing in crypto because it's novel, because it's digital, yeah. because it's a trend, yeah. um, because Kim Kardashian is tweeting about <laughs> it. Um, yeah. and, and the risk there is that, you know, because it's so volatile, they often see huge capital depreciations as a result of this volatility. Um, and so we really want to protect a vulnerable um, community. So while we really are looking at crypto, I think it's, again, about figuring out how to do this in a way that, you know, offers our customers some level of protection against the volatility that we see in crypto. I think the second thing around enabling crypto is really making sure that we do it in a way that, um, you know, allows some level of tracking in terms of um, the payment flows. Because one of the big use cases, unfortunately, with crypto is money laundering um, and use by, you know, illegal capital companies because it is disguised. Yeah. So we need to do it in a way that's really, you know, compliant with money laundering regulation to make sure that we're not aiding and abetting anything that's illegal, um, particularly in South Africa, where, you know, we do see a lot of financial crime. Um, so we want to make sure that we participate in a way that um, doesn't, you know, um, necessitate enabling that. You mentioned... Uh... Kim Kardashian tweeting about crypto. And I think that points, uh, that specific element is now pointing to regulation and financial services now starting to catch up because of the fine uh, that we have. And 
I'm not an expert in the space, but you know, one can foreseeably see, um, you know, more and more action, you know, coming out from you know that point of view. Uh, but maybe not so much on regulation, but rather ethics. Now, mm. coming back to a point that you that you raised earlier on, um, where you're treading that fine line between collecting data on the customer, you know, versus being creepy <laughs> with the data around the customer. How can financial services organizations actually work, you know, to get that data, uh, but in a one-to-one -one way with the customer uh, so that it's all done in an ethical way? It starts with the onboarding relationship, the point that the customer enters into a relationship with um you know, with anyone, be it a bank, a technology company, um, yeah. I think you need to be really transparent um, in that initial conversation about where and how we use your data. Um, and I think specifically, you know, data use is very different on different platforms. Um, if you interact on a channel like USSD, there's very limited data um, processing that is required to necessitate that transaction. Whereas, you know, using a digital web channel, um, companies have to process your data in order to serve you in the right way. If you think about a company like Netflix, there are probably hundreds of thousands of movies. Um, if they just um, display them in a flat way, you probably wouldn't be able to navigate yeah. um, and figure out what to watch. Even I struggle even <laughs> with personalization. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, you know, part of it is actually showing the user one, you know, how it's used across different platforms and how that changes their user experience. I think another big thing around data is it's not about selling more products to a customer, but really making sure that that whole experience with the bank um, is improved. So one of the big uses that we um, we have with data is actually keeping um, customers secure. So we use a lot of your data from a fraud and security um, perspective. And I think we can tell, you know, how customers are interacting with us. And if it's different, if somebody else is on your device, um, if they're navigating around the app in a way that you don't usually do, we can immediately see that that's not you and stop the transaction and lock your account. So there's a huge safety component to data that we try and make very transparent to the customer as well. Uh, always good you know, to know and see that our data is being used as a way to, I guess, you know, to use the behavioral um, element you, know, you can see. Actually, this is not how someone usually interacts with the app, and then you can protect um, someone from there. But I think the discussion, you know, up to this point has really painted a picture of how complex it is, you know, this um, interaction and this relationship uh, that a bank like APSA has with its, uh, with its customers. And one can imagine that you guys are one of the largest banks in the country, and I'm sure across channels and across geographies, uh, there's a lot of challenges in actually servicing your yeah, customers. That's, you know, traditionally been an issue. How is Salesforce actually helping you guys to get that 360 view um, of your customers? So Salesforce is really great because on the one hand, we have these amazingly talented data scientists, um, 
But in terms of you know, the output that they yield, you really need a system like Salesforce to help interpret um, the so what. So yeah. that, that first time home buyer example that I just um, used, Salesforce really helps us to identify what is the persona behind cluster 43 that the unstructured algorithm found. And then I think Salesforce also, because we use it across um, various interactions, it really allows us to paint a 360 view of the customer. So for example, if a customer complains, we then are able to ingest that into um, our marketing technology platform, Marketing Cloud. And then we know not to market to this customer because you know, they're irate and they have a complaint until that complaint is resolved. We're able to identify various levels of sensitivity to certain products or certain engagements so that we avoid them in the future. Um, and then we're also able to orchestrate across channels. So as yeah. payments become more real time, Salesforce allows us to ingest, process and respond in a very speedy way um, across multiple channels. So now if you interact with us, um, you know, you click on a social media ad, we're able to make sure that we surface that same offer, whether it's on a digital channel, or whether you walk into a branch, that sales consultant will actually have access to that information yeah. and your personalized recommendations. Okay. Sounds like there's a lot, you know, that's going on and at least the capability is able to um, give you that ability to, I guess, act very quickly. Uh, that's the first thing. And then secondly, um, just giving you that view because that helps you to have that better um, interaction with uh, some of your customers, but also with some of the tools that you're then able to give to your people and how they interact um, with uh, the customers going forward. As we're ending off the discussion today, uh, I wanted to get your sense. At the beginning, we had uh, we started off by defining you know what financial inclusion is, and we've listed you know some of the benefits in terms of uh, you know taking businesses forward, the economy forward. Um, so that's where we want to end off to get a sense around, you know, um, goals, you know, what is, um, you know, what would you say is APSA's goal, you know, for the future? So I think um, financial inclusion is a huge um, part of our strategy and our ambition going forward. And I think you'll see some very exciting developments in the next year or so um, that speak to a lot of the elements that I've touched on that we have in the pipeline. But I think for us, the ambition is really to deepen our relationship at a customer level, but also to start touching and engaging in the broader communities um, that our customers participate in. Um, it's really around understanding you know, the human behind the data and actually yeah. interacting with them on a one-to-one -one and a personal level, but actually doing this at scale um, and particularly in entry-level and inclusive banking, you have to scale this across millions of customers yes. in very diverse geographies. But I think um, that's really at the heart of our ambition. Um, and then also, I think from a product perspective, it's around starting to develop and tailor our products that bring you up the financial ladder. So moving beyond just um, serving you as a bank to really holistically understanding your aspiration as a human and how these different financial products fit into that aspiration. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it's really around crafting a proposition that starts empowering um, the inclusive banking segment and allowing them to migrate um, up the socioeconomic pyramid. All right. So that's been it. It's been a very fascinating discussion. I think for, you know, just looking at everything we spoke about, it really does sound like there's a tension 
uh, that technology is helping to solve. Uh, because when you're looking at financial inclusion, you're looking at the problems of not only one person, but millions of people, um, like what you said right now. But those millions of people are individuals that each need to be served as you know, one person at a time. And I think um, everything that you said helps us to see how you are able to do that. You know, you serve a lot of people, but you're serving each one of them, you know, individually, you know, one at a time. And, uh, but before we let you go, uh, we wanted to, you know, maybe just, you know, zoom in specifically on you um, and uh, just get a sense of your best, you know, and worst career advice. Um, so let me maybe start with the second one, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah. So as a, um, a very young female uh, junior analyst, I think um, I got a lot of advice about gravitas and how to enhance my level of gravitas. Um, and a lot of it was from male colleagues. So I think, you know, um, some of the worst advice was specifics around how to cut my hair or what shoes to wear or, you know, wear more pantsuits, I think, was the absolute worst career advice that I received. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the converse to that is really around, um, you know, authenticity. So I think one of the, um, the leaders in our organization, um, who's currently actually our CEO, kind of said, you need to lead in a way that is very specific to you um, as an individual. And you, Shanine, have a certain set of um, attributes and, you know, um, things about you that make you very unique. And so as you think about yourself as a leader, it's really around leading in a way that's authentic to you, um, doing things that feel comfortable, that feel intuitive, um, trust your gut. And I think that's really served me very well. It certainly has. So that brings us to the end of uh, today's episode. As you heard, uh, a lot of insights being gleaned, uh, but we spoke about the big tension, which is around how do you serve millions of people, uh, but in an individualized um, way using that data. And also a lot of the ethical um, issues, you know, that actually come around that. How do you create that line in the sand? Um, you know, before you become, you start becoming creepy, uh, like what uh, Shanine was talking about. And also at the same time, um, in terms of that personalization, just being able to uh, use the technology to match, uh, you know, all of those different products uh, that are being offered just so that you can get more and more people into uh, the financial net, get them, you know, up the credit ladder, like what we were talking about, and increase uh, that financial inclusion. Shanine, thank you so much thank for being so with much. us today. This was Tech Force Africa. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating and a review. See you next time.